I'm not a researcher, but I seem to have spent over 20 years of my life in the world of research and insight because it's fascinating. It's fascinating what we do for clients. It's fascinating how our businesses work. And the people are, the people are ace. Generally, in the industry, people are ace. Really smart, really clever. And welcome back to the Soapbox podcast, a podcast that gives you an insight into the people that do insight best. I'm Tilly Lewis and I'm Box Clever's marketing manager, and I'm joined by my glamorous co-host, Richard Brown. Combined, we make the Soapboxes. So for our 10th episode, we're very pleased to welcome Paul Griffiths, who is the founder of Client Advocates, who help market research and insight agencies increase their revenue and brands increase their budgets. Paul, thank you so much for taking the time to speak to us today. Can you tell us a bit about what you do at Client Advocates, please, Paul? Certainly. So I essentially help two groups. I help leaders, owners, senior management in small to medium market research agencies, and I help them with their growth. So how to grow revenues, how to be more profitable, how to expand, how to scale. And then I also help users of Insight in large enterprises. So heads of Insight, strategy directors, marketing directors, and I help them with their Insight strategy. So how to get more value from the Insight, how to generate Insight, how to uh, manage and influence stakeholders so that they embed the insight more effectively into the business. And take us on the journey then, Paul, please. How did you end up where you are now? What's your story? Oh, blimey. I started my career many, many, many moons ago in the wonderful world of insurance. Um, so I started off as a, a, at Lloyd's of London, the insurance market in London on, my gra- on the grad scheme, where I did a, a mix of broking, underwriting, uh, but ended up in the sort of the strategy area where I was responsible for our operations in Southeast Asia. So spent some time out in Asia, which was amazing, but then decided I wanted to do do an MBA, which Lloyd's very kindly funded me for, sponsored me to do. But in my infant arrogance and naivety, thought at the end of it, oh, I'm not going to go back to Lloyd's. I'm going to set up my own business, which I tried to do. And about three months in, I realized that it was completely and utterly going to be a complete washout and failure so i had to get a job essentially to pay the mortgage and refund all the fees that lloyd's had paid for my mba (laughs) so i applied for a load of jobs and one of them weirdly was in market research so it was to be the aide-de-camp to the global chief executive of a company that was back in those days called taylor nelson softwares later became tns and then Kantar and yada 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 And I blagged my way in there to be the ADC. So I did 10, 10, 11 years at TNS in a variety of roles, starting off in group doing M&A, mergers, um, planning, strategy, commercial stuff, and then moved into the UK business where um, I had to learn to be a researcher because I didn't know the first thing about really about actually being a practitioner and then moved through the UK business to end up being kind of, well, kind of a bit of a troubleshooter, I guess, 
So going around bits of the business that weren't working and doing change management or commercial restructures, end up as commercial director at one point of various bits of the business, but eventually fell out of love with what was then WPP and left, joined a small boutique agency called Simpson Carpenter as commercial director, was there for about a year. But honestly, um, it was a lovely place and they had great people, and but it just it wasn't working for me. So um, my wife sat me down one evening and went, look, you're a miserable son of a what's it, <laughs> and you have been for a, for a while now. Why don't you go back and try and set up your own business? And I went, but I don't know what I'm going to do. And she said, you'll figure it out. So I went in, resigned from Simpson Carpenter. I think they probably went, oh, thank goodness for that. <laughs> and I sort of then spent the time, the, my gardening leave, working out what to do. And, and what I ended up working out I wanted to do was do client advocates. And how long ago was that? Sorry, Paul. That was uh, just over 10 years ago. So I've been my own boss for 10 years. And it is, honestly, it's brilliant. I love it. I'm so miserable and bad-tempered and grumpy. I hate being told what to do. And so, therefore, this is the perfect environment for me because nobody tells me what to do. Yeah, exactly. You can, you can only fire yourself, can't you? Yeah. <laughs> I think my, probably my wife can, and she does threaten to on occasion. But, you know, but we, so far, we've managed to you know, stop that from happening. <laughs> and if you uh, hadn't got into uh, kind of research to start off with, what do you think, what path might you have taken? Oh, you know what, Tilly, I got no idea. I still, I'm, you know, I'm 50 and I'm still working out what I want to do for my career. I'm confident enough to think I'd been able to kind of figure most things out, but I've always taken the view, you know, if this doesn't work out, I'll go and try something else and find some, some people that listen to what I say and something will work its way through. So I, I've really got no no idea. And if you were to give any advice to to any youngsters that would like to embark on a career in in insight, uh, what advice would you give them? Uh, I'd say do it and embrace it and enjoy it. I mean, I've you know I'm not a researcher, but I seem to have spent over twenty years of my life in the world of research and insight because it's fascinating. It's fascinating what we do for clients. It's fascinating how our businesses work. And the people are the people are ace generally in the industry. People are ace, really smart, really clever. So I'd say embrace it, and then say say yes to things. I mean, most of the good things that have happened in my career have happened because I've stupidly said yes. <laughs> hmm. What do you think's been your your best moment in the last ten years? Then you know, working for yourself. You know what? It's those moments where I'm hanging out with my kids or I'm doing something nice, cheekily, having sneaked a Friday off to go walking or do whatever I'm doing. And it's those moments where the work-life balance and all of the... Yeah, there's a risk associated with running your own your own business, but it's the payoff of having that freedom and that ability to kind of to do what you want when you want to do it. Mm -hmm. um, and generally, I'm pretty lucky around that so I think yeah, I'm, I, that's why I, I love and that's what's kind of nice about what I do is I get to help people but I also get to have a life and do what I want to do I like that mm. well let's, let's flip it around then what's been your worst moment <laughs> <laughs> Covid was pretty damn scary so I'd my financial year runs April to, to March 
And as you'll remember, COVID started kicking off in the in the March. And I'd been in the really nice position that I had over half of my you know, next year's book of business sort of in the order book and in the pipeline and pretty much signed off to start 1st of April. And in that for that last week in March, it all got cancelled. It all got canned, understandably. I, I mean, I have no, no sort of issue with what people had to do, but that was that was a pretty pretty dark moment sitting there going blimey and you know coming back to your earlier question it was at that point I sat and thought you know what if I end up going and having to drive a, a, a van for Tesco's I'll I'll do it if that's what what I have to do luckily actually it worked out really well because the the time I had when I wasn't then working with Covid I was able to sit back and take a view on the the seven years I've been running the business and sit there and go, well, okay, if I'm going to, if I treat this as a startup again, because essentially that's now what it is, because I've got no work and none of my clients are commissioning me, what do I do? And it enabled me to kind of re-engineer the business, refocus. And as a result, the business is, has, you know, over the last three years has seen some really, really good growth. It is actually a far more successful, more effective business now than it was pre-COVID. So what did you change then, Paul? Because it sounds like for all of the negatives attached to COVID, in the end, in a way, it's been a positive experience if if the last three years have been so good. Yeah, so there was a couple of things. I mean, I actually went back and sort of said, right, if I was to start again, what are all the things that I now know that I wish I'd done? So I set myself up properly on with a, a CRM system. I started using LinkedIn as a as a as a proper business development and brand building tool. I spent a lot of time reading about stuff. So I read all of the stuff around Byram Sharp and all the stuff that, you know, around how brands grow and things. Um, and I was also able to start working far more internationally. So I'd always done a bit and bits and pieces of international work with agencies and clients overseas. But because of the sort of the fact we were all working virtually, it meant it didn't matter where I was, I could suddenly start adding value to agencies in Hong Kong and Singapore and in the US and in Australia in a far more meaningful way. And I think all of those things together have kind of combined to kind of to make yeah the business, you know, work more effectively. Do you think there's a particular issue, a common like a reoccurring theme within the insight industry, um, something that you've noticed, be that from where you started or something that you've observed more recently in life? I'm not going to talk about generative AI because everyone's talking about it. The thing that really, really interests me is that after 20 something years in the industry, we are still no good at selling the value we generate. We spend way too much of our time as an industry talking about what we do we do quant, we do qual, we do brand tracking, we do product testing, the rest of it. Very rarely do I ever come across agencies that are really, really good. And clients, end clients tell me this all the time. You know, agencies are not very good at selling the value. And interestingly enough, heads of insight quite often are not necessarily very good at selling the value of what they're doing into their internal stakeholders. We all as an industry focus too much on what we do rather than yeah, how, how what's the outputs, and um, how can and how does how does this add value? And I think, you know, if if I were to have a 
an aspiration for the industry. It's that we kind of get better at that stuff. Yeah, I can really buy into that. You do get caught up sometimes in the in the details and the the, the product almost, rather than what that product will achieve. Mm. And it's why we struggle. You know, this the endless conversation. Or why we why aren't we at the sweet sweet? And why aren't we talking to the senior people in the organisation and the business? And it's because we we talk as an industry too much about what we do. And if you're the head of, you know, if you're the marketing director for a big global brand, you really don't give that much of a monkeys about kind of the research process, but you will give a huge monkeys for the insight or the recommendations or the the value that's generated by what that insight can tell you about your business and what you need to do differently or more effectively. Yeah. And that's the stuff that we need to get better at. Paul, tell us, what do you like to do outside of work? I do a load of walking. Mm-hmm. So I do endurance walking. Once a year, I do a, a stupid walk. So um, last year, I, ran, I, I walked the Dales Way, which is 80-something miles. I did that in three days. This year, I'm training to do the North Downs Way, which is 120 miles. And I'm going to hopefully do that in, in five days in October. And do you do that with with a group or on your own with your family family will come walking with me but not doing that sort of stupid thing <laughs> the practice walks. yeah practice walks and stuff um i've got a couple of mates who will join me for bits of it so i've got a a, a good friend he's done a lot of the walks with me but um to be honest it depends i mean i've some of them i do for fun some of them i do for for charity so um after covid we did the the fox way which is a 40 mile round circuit of the Guildford Surrey area near where I live and I got 10 of my mates to do that and we did that and we did 40 miles in a day wow but other ones I kind of you know it'll be a couple of us and we'll we'll just we'll we'll head off with our rucksacks we book some B&Bs and off we go so I walk and then I also I'm a massive rugby fan so I support Harlequins so I'm I spend quite a lot of my time if I can at Harlequins um, and I'm lucky enough to have debentures at Twickenham, so I get I get all the England matches at Twickenham. And when I'm not doing that, I'm kind of you know, I've got two kids and a family, and I'm doing all that stuff. Dad stuff. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm a bad dad, but yeah, it is. <laughs> I'm sure you're not. <laughs> what were you like at school, Paul? What were you like growing up, and where did you grow up? So I grew up partly in Yorkshire. So from about four to about 11, I was in um, Harrogate. And then we moved down south. My dad's job moved and we moved down to Berkhamstead in Hertfordshire. And that's where I was, was until I was 18 and, and left home. And what was I like as a kid? I was obnoxiously precocious, I suspect. <laughs> Pretty full of myself, not lacking in confidence and a frustrated sports person. So I love sport and I love playing sport, but I was rubbish at all of it. So I spent most of my time kind of trying desperately to get into sports teams that I've singly failed not to get into. Where do you think that confidence and that, you know, get up and go and give it a try attitude came from? I was really lucky. My my folks were really, and, and you know, bless him, my dad's not with us, but my mum, mum and dad were always very supportive of my brother and I in terms of kind of their belief and their view that you can pretty much, you know, you can have a pop at anything. And if it doesn't work, never mind, at least you've had a, had a go. And I think that's part of it. 
And don't forget, in Paul's experience, he had a go at setting up a business. And when it failed, don't worry, market research scooped him up. So <laughs> for all those people out there worried about failure, don't worry, we're here. There's still a room. With, with open arms. <laughs> with open arms. Has it all gone wrong? Rich, you have absolutely <laughs> twisted that story. And I admire you for it. <laughs> um, <laughs> I look, don't get me wrong. I am, I am very, very grateful for the home that I have found in market research. I'm not sure. I'm not sure many people are grateful that I'm still here, but um, I'm very grateful for the for the living and the livelihood and the experiences and the opportunities it's given me over 20 years. So you mentioned kind of walking rugby. Do you have any other kind of niche or geeky interests at all, Paul? Well, I, I, should I admit this? I do sing. I mean, I've always sung. I mean, it's funny you, you asked me about that question about what I was, why I was confident. I think um, I've always been very happy. I'm a bit of a performer. So getting up on a stage and singing in front of groups of people is kind of also, I mean, something I love doing, not something I really do very much of anymore, sadly. I was doing some more of it before COVID hit. What kind of singing? I'm not saying I'm any good at it, but I will pretty much sing anything. You know, you, I will sing choral works. I will sing rock, pop. I will, I mean, I won't rap. I don't rap. <laughs> Rapping's not me. Um, but not anymore. Actually, before, the game's changed. <laughs> before, well, you know, I'm, I'm old enough that rap hadn't been invented. So, uh, but no, before, before COVID, I was trying to learn how to become a jazz singer. Because I really like jazz and I find it very difficult and I don't understand it. And it's a very different skill from kind of normal singing. So I was trying to learn how to become a jazz singer. Nice. Well, or not, if you'd heard it. <laughs> <laughs> Can you sing? Maybe after a, a few gin and tonics. But... <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Rick? You've got a voice, haven't you? No, <laughs> no. Um, I am staggeringly poor at all things musical. <laughs> <laughs> to such an extent that, you know, I was talking to my niece on the weekend and she's at the point where, you, you know, you start doing your options and you start l dropping things and, and, and moving yeah. on. And it reminded me how pleased I was to drop music at the end of year nine <laughs> <laughs> because I was pretty good at, like, good enough at everything else. And I remember we had student teachers come into our music lessons and, and do their their learning. And we did that that little group activity where everyone gets an instrument um, and you have to, like, help play the tune. And I remember one in particular she was looking at me and trying to work out, is he taking the piss? Like, is he being disruptive? <laughs> and then I saw her go, no, he's just shit. He's just unbelievably <laughs> shit. That's why when someone says they can sing, I'm always really interested. Because, oh God, I'd love to be able to do it. I just, I can't. I bet you can. I've, you know what? I, I spent some time singing choirs at various points. And one of the reasons why choirs are quite good, actually, I believe, is apart from all the mental health and social aspects to it, if you're not a confident singer, it's a really good place to learn and practice because you can stand next to people who are who are more capable or more confident and kind of learn from them. I mean, my dad could not sing for Toffee. Could not sing, but you put him in a between me and my mum, um, who mum's a mum's good singer. Um, you know, he could actually carry a tune, but he could do it because he was listening to to the two of us standing next to it. So you can, Rich, we will get you singing. Yeah. Maybe, but I mean, clever choir. I do remember distinctly at school when you, you're little and they wanted to form a choir and they came into the classroom and they had everybody stand and sing, like whatever tune it was. And then they just started picking people to sit down. <laughs> I was quite quickly asked to, to sit. Um, and that I respect that. 
<laughs> I, you know what? I think that's terrible. I think that's really, really awful. It's the, it's the same thing. I mean, I mentioned about being, you know, crap at sport. You know, what happened was, was people used to be good at sport naturally, and they're the ones that get picked, and they're the ones that get coached, and they're the ones that therefore get better. Mm-hmm. And the rest of us, as mere mortals who weren't so good, it was like, oh, well, you're obviously crap, you know, go and sit on the sidelines or go and, you know, go and play in the in the D team. Yeah. And actually, I think, you know, hopefully sport coaching and, and music coaching has moved on. So it's a it's not a question of who's got natural talent. It's a question of, right, how do we best get the best out of everybody? Paul, you may have listened to some of these podcasts. You may not have, but... Uh, but it's clever, we're quite food-driven. Yeah. So a question that we have for you is, if you were stuck on a dessert island, what would it be made out of? Lemon meringue pie. Ooh, good choice. With anything or just... With custard, but custard out of a tin. This is something that's been highlighted before. Would the custard be hot or cold? Ooh, cold. Cold custard. You've got to have it cold, cold on a custard. lemon meringue if you haven't custard on a meringue. Well, I suppose surely. it would just become a meringue mess, wouldn't it? Yeah. <laughs> well, it's your choice. I'm not saying you're doing it wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I love a bit of lemon meringue. Lemon meringue and cold custard. Good choice. Usually we say at the start of depth interviews, don't we? Look, there's no right or wrong answers, but that's as close as you get, I think, to a wrong answer that Wrong. Uh, yeah lemon meringue with a, with a cold custard of all the things you could you could choose you've got to where's that come from what what, <laughs> what what's happening rich that's that's english public school for you mate ah okay that's you know <laughs> that's what basically you know at the age of seven that was what that was what we were given fair enough <laughs> just be thankful i didn't start talking about the spotted dick <laughs> yeah no that's good that's for the uh, the later on episodes <laughs> so what about if it comes to breakfast Paul, can you walk us through your ideal breakfast? I, I can, and um, I'm going to I'm going to drop a brand name here, hoping that I might get some free ones. Um, <laughs> it's called a Premier Inn breakfast. A Premier Inn with, with Lenny Henry sat with you or not? <laughs> uh, oh, oh, no, 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 no. I've never managed that, but I love a I love a Premier Inn breakfast. Yeah. I mean, what it's a it's a cornucopia of of <laughs> breakfast delights. <laughs> Is that the Premier Inn where you can literally have as much as you want as well? Yes, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> right. I mean, like, yeah, we, we book ourselves into a Premier Inn and I'm, I plan not to eat for several days afterwards. Yeah, that's a good shout. We've done research, haven't we, for Premier Inn? I, I have, anyway, for, for Premier Inn, uh, specifically on breakfasts. Have you so, really? Yeah, I have, yeah. So I've, I've oh, been this is to... why this industry is so cool. You're owning it. <laughs> I'm not saying that I'm responsible for the love that Paul has. I'm just a part of it. Um, But it was it was potentially quite awkward. I remember, you know, just inviting myself to sit with an Australian family on holiday in London so I could talk to them about hash browns and sausages. They were very accommodating. (laughs) Would you say that was a high highlight of your career? No, I would not. (laughs) So, um, Paul, have you had any regrets in your life at all? No, I, well, I try not to. I mean, yes, I mean, there's obviously things I regret doing and things I'm not particularly proud of in my life. Like that time you stayed at a travel lodge and had their breakfast. <laughs> oh, you know what? I mean, yeah, it's just not, it's not the same. It's really not the same. But anyway, moving quickly on. No, I, I try not to regret stuff. I try and learn from things. So I kind of, there's, there's you know, there's things I've stuffed up and I've made lots of mistakes in my life, but um, I hope they're kind of, their learnings rather than regrets. Yeah, that's good. I was thinking about 
like mottos or mantras or things that you sort of try to live by? Yes. A code, if you will. A code, I like it. So do I have one? Yeah. Something I'm oh. thinking, you know, you could put a nice font over a sunrise, bang it on Instagram, that, that kind of thing. So I've got, I've got two kind of mottos, actually both that come from, from my dad. The, the first one is fight the battles you're going to win. That's a good one. And the second one is don't let the bastards get you down. <laughs> both very, very good. I have those two things at the back of my head a lot of the time. Yeah, especially when you're running your own business, it can be a bit roller coastery at some points. And so kind of, you know, and you can't believe it when it's going really, really well. And equally, you don't want to believe it when it's going really badly. I think those two quotes, those two mottos have kind of helped kind of give me a bit of balance when things are either going, you know, extremely well or extremely badly. And what about things that annoy you, Paul? Is there anything that really annoys you, really yes. bugs you? Paul's saying don't, don't fight battles you can't win mm. but what what is the hill you will die on even yeah. though you can't win them? <laughs> there's so much that annoys me so much that annoys me but particularly loading of dishwashers yeah i am really with you on this one i'm completely completely militant about the way to load a dishwasher mm -hmm. and you know it just oh makes me so angry when people don't do it properly. Yeah, it's really tough. I find it at work, at least at home, you can kind of, you know, you can almost say what you want within reason to your family, can't you? But at work, you've got to be somewhat professional. And when it's poorly stacked, God, I get angry as well. Well, I'm, a, I'm afraid that in, in our house, I'm considered to be the poor stacker. Are you the poor stacker? And I can, I will do it. I'll, I'll do it. I'll do my best. But no matter what, I'll then hear the gentle clink of things being moved and, and, and tinkered with. And the other day I overheard my wife say to one of my sons, daddy's just not very good at this. <laughs> so, so, Rich, can I ask you a question? Yes. Are you purposely rubbish at this or are you just don't care? No, it's neither of those things. I'm not in that. What's that new thing that where men are deliberately rubbish at stuff so that women take after them? I mean, there is definitely a bit of that in, in my life. Probably, but no, I I think I'm pretty good. That's the problem. I think I'm pretty good. I think I get a good number of items in. I think that the way that they're organised means that all of the various spinny things do their job. But apparently, there's there's just a level that I'm not reaching that You're Louisa is able to reach. You're not using your Tetris skills. Well, the thing is, though, dare I say that sometimes the things that when Louisa has done it and I empty it, not everything's as clean as it could be. <laughs> but the difference is, I don't make a point of that. <laughs> <laughs> and you're the bigger man as a result. Well, maybe I am. <laughs> so go on, Paul. What annoys you about poor dishwasher stacking? Oh, it's just, it's so obvious how to do it and what goes where. And it doesn't matter how many times I've pointed out to my gig. Obviously, I don't stack a dishwasher at work, thank God because that, I think, would probably push me over the edge. But even at home, it's, you know, you can ju it's just so obvious what you do and how you do it, and yet my family don't seem able sometimes to do even the simplest, basic stacking, you know, processes. Drives me seriously bonkers. <laughs> what about um, crisps, Paul? Tell us about... We want to know about crisps. What's your crisp. go? What's your go-to crisp? Ooh, so 
if if sleeping is my superpower, then crisps are my kryptonite. Yeah. I love crisps like like nothing else. I mean, way more than chocolate, way more than sweet stuffs. You put, you know, I've never yet not managed to eat crisps, whatever volume has been put in front of me. So I'm pretty undiscriminating in terms of so long as a crisp, I'll eat it. That said, my absolute favourite are crinkle cut salt and vinegar crisps. A particular brand or just as long as they're crinkle cut? Seabrooks. Se- oh. Mm-hmm. Yep. Seabrooks crinkle cut salt vinegar crisps are frankly they're like they're like heavenly. You probably can't hear this on my mic, but I'm my mouth is actually watering yes. at, the, <laughs> at, at the prospect of it. You remember, do you remember? Do you remember? God, when was it? It was on. I might you guys might not remember this, but um, on Spitting Image, there used to be a character. There was a Labour MP called Roy Hattersley, and he used to have kind of he used to sort of have a bit of a, a lisp and. The, the spitting image thing, they used to spit buckets <laughs> yeah. of water out of his mouth as he was speaking. That is what's is happening right now as I think about Seabrook's crinkle-cut salt and vinegar crisps. I always think with crinkle-cut salt and vinegar crisps, and I do think of them frequently, that you can't beat a McCoy's. So they are an excellent crisp, an excellent crisp. And if I can't get my Seabrook's, because actually in the south of England, it's quite difficult to get them. I get them more when I go up north. But yeah, McCoy's are an excellent standard. Not quite as good. Slightly greasier, I feel. A friend of mine, when he got married, he did um, a crisp buffet with like tasting notes. And, and <laughs> it was absolutely amazing. He bought a lot of crisps as well. So there was no shortage of them. But that was a real real eye-opener, actually, because he turned out to be quite the connoisseur. What, of a crisp? Yeah, and he had some, some crisps there that none of us had ever tried and, you know, really premium stuff. Uh, absolutely excellent. Did he include corn crisps in this and not just potatoes? Because yeah, there's a whole question about whether a, you know, a corn... Oh, yeah, like a corn snack. Yeah, yeah. yeah a corn yeah. snack. Is that only a crisp? Where do crisps end and twiglets begin? That's the that's the question. <laughs> and on that, I wonder where... like, I, is, there, is there a bad crisp? Because I reckon I'd eat any crisp. You know what? There's some I've come across. They're, they're, not, they're not crisps. We, we go to Spain on holiday and my wife likes these kind of sort of cheesy poof things we call them cheesy poofs and they are literally just vapid air that tastes slightly of sock in my opinion i I know what you mean yeah but my wife loves them yeah 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 i I probably if they were sat in front of me on holiday i've if i've got a beer out in the sun i I would probably still eat them i I do but i feel slightly dirty afterwards it's like it's yeah it's like it's not fingers smell as well yeah oh yes yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like a what, you know, after what's it? So you get... Well, you're supposed to use chopsticks, aren't you? <laughs> for that. That's that's fine. And I'm not, you know, I'm not particularly patriotic at all, but if, if anyone said that there was another country that did better crisps, I'd be like, you must be saying a piss. Because <laughs> we've got the best crisps, haven't we? Come on, even America can't compete with our crisps. Do you think you could get away with a murder, Paul? <laughs> um, who's to say I haven't? Mm. Good answer, good answer. <laughs> do you know what i think we can we can wrap it up nicely now. So you, yeah, actually, we, you've had enough <laughs> now that you've confessed to a murder that <laughs> <laughs> we're just going to go off and report it to the uh, police i did once think about writing a book a, a murder mystery book i was really into agatha christie books when i was a kid and i the my my chosen murder weapon was have you been to an italian restaurant where you get those enormous enormous pepper mills like you know oh, the, yeah. like the foot long ones 
I started, I was, I was about 14, 15. I started writing a murder mystery book where the pepper mill was the murder weapon. You need to make sure that you have ownership of that because anyone listening to this podcast could steal that idea. And why wouldn't they? <laughs> what would you, what would you call it? Like the pepper mill murders. Oh, that's I don't know. Something I mean, I was I think I, I think at the time well, I was season seasoned murders. Oh yeah, very good. Yeah, you see. Tell you what, I, I'll tell you what, I will license the idea to you for a pack of Seabrook salt vinger crisps. That seems like a fair deal to me. <laughs> I think he's winning. Yeah, he? I do, personally. <laughs> Rich, we've never met and I'm not sure I want to do it again. <laughs> yeah, fine. Uh, you're not the first. <laughs> Paul, can you tell us a bit about what's next? What have you got lined up? Be that kind of in life or, or in your career? So I suppose what, I'm early 50s. My kids, the youngest one's probably got six or seven years left at school and then probably university or some sort of further education. But I'm kind of thinking I want to kind of try and try and start dialing things back in the next 10 years. So it's for me, it's about kind of what can I do to keep myself really interested and engaged in what I do and continue to add value and things to clients for the next you know, 10 years or so. It's really about kind of figuring that out, really. I don't know what the answer is, and I, I never normally do. It kind of, some of these things kind of tend to iterate and evolve. Yeah. But yeah, no, I think that's kind of, you know, it's, I'm definitely, I'm definitely entering that stage in my career where I'm kind of, I'm closer to the end than the start. So it's more a question of kind of, yeah, how do I, how do I keep myself engaged and excited and motivated and, and sort of interested in it all? I have got one last question for you, Go on. Paul, is if you could say sorry or thank you to someone uh, who would it be and what would you say? Well, self-evidently, I would say thank you to you, Tilly, and the wonderful people <laughs> of Vox Clever for inviting me onto this podcast. Uh, but if I wasn't being a suck-up, oh, God, there's so many people I need to say sorry to. Probably early in my career, I'm not probably, I was undoubtedly a bit of an arse and probably didn't treat people with the respect and the the decency that I should have done and I'm kind of you know part of my role now is to kind of make up for that and do penance for that I think so there are lots of people that I probably didn't treat as well as I should have done earlier in my career and I'm you know I won't name them because there's too many of them and you don't want people sending you rude emails no but we would love to have on the podcast and hear a bit <laughs> their, their, their point of view we do like sort of a focus group style <laughs> The Paul Griffiths roast. <laughs> oh God, that you seriously, you don't, you don't, you don't have. There is not enough audio tape in the world to catch that one. <laughs> I'd probably need to say sorry to all those people. Oh well, do you know what? I, I appreciate your honesty. I mean, we've all done things that we're not proud of in our lives. So. Rich is sitting there going, "Yeah, this one's one of them at the moment." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he's looking right at me. <laughs> not at all. No, thank you, Paul. We are really grateful for your time today because i appreciate how busy you are so there you have it it's not all lemon meringue pie cold custard and killing people with giant pepper mills there's so much more to insight and the people behind it we must of course say a massive thank you to paul for taking time out of his busy schedule to be with us today hopefully paul you've enjoyed yourself as much as we have we'll see you next time ciao